This is Ready Radio, preparing you to be ready for anything. Now, here's your survival guide for Ready Radio on Rush. John Rush, Ready Radio, KLZ 560. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it very much. It is a live show today on September the 8th, and the year just rolls on by. So hopefully you all had a great uh, Labor Day weekend last weekend. We ran a replay show to give... uh, most everybody some time off, so I appreciate you all still listening. Got some text messages from that as well. Today, I've got several things in store for you. Some I'll dovetail into what we've talked about in the past. I've got a couple of announcements as well. If there's anything at all you'd like to have me cover, by the way, you can either call in and we'll chat about it, or you can send me a text message. I can add it to the list of future shows as well. Text line 307 200 You can also call us directly at 303 303- 4-7-7-5-6-0-0. Great new sponsor, by the way, of Ready Radio is Raise Tech Concrete Lifting. And I appreciate uh, Chadrick. Uh, we've talked about him on Fix It Radio. We interviewed him here a couple of weeks ago. But if there's something around the house where you need some concrete leveling done, he's got a very unique system for doing so. It is not mud jacking. It's, I guess you could say, a step above that. And if you've got anything where you're having a potential, you know, trip hazard or you've got a patio where some of it has sunken off and you want to get things leveled up, uh, you name it, uh, Chadrick can really lift most anything. Now, he'll come out, tell you exactly how that works, what the cost would be and so on. Free estimates, by the way. There's no charge to have him come out and do so. You can meet with him directly or he can even swing by when you're not there, take pictures and give you an idea of what that's going to take to get things leveled up. So it could be anything from a front stoop, a basement, a driveway, a garage pad itself, uh, you name it. If it's something where, again, you've got some sort of a trip hazard forming, uh, sidewalks, things like that, yes, he can take care of all of those things. He is up in Wellington but works all up and down uh, the front range, 970-682-5179. That's Raise Tech Concrete Lifting and you can find him on our website, ready-radio.com. And, Chadrick, thank you very much. I appreciate you and uh, what you'll do for our listeners. And, again, if you've got anything along those lines where you need something done, please give him a call. And much needed with the types of soils that we have in Colorado. And, again, if you need anything along those lines, please give him a call, and he'd love to help you out. All right. Talking to a good friend of mine. In fact, I'm going to have him on here in the not-too-distant future to talk about what happens during an EMP. Now, he doesn't know precisely what happens during an EMP, but he's in the IT world and has seen many a lightning strike and what it does to sensitive or just general electronic equipment. In fact, he shared a story with me today that I want to have him on and talk about because I think it really shows the importance of why it's important to be ready for things like an EMP, electromagnetic pulse strike. And again, for those of you maybe listening for the first time, we do this each Friday from 2 to 3. We've got our shows podcasted. You can find those on the website, ready-radio.com. But for those that maybe have heard a little bit about an EMP but don't know all about it, we've talked about this uh, really uh, quite often on this program for the last year plus. But an electronic, electromagnetic pulse, I should say, is a uh, nuclear weapon detonated above the Earth's atmosphere. And in doing so, it sends down uh, electrons, if you would, an electronic charge, 
that goes into the ground, comes back up. There's typically three different pulses associated with it, and it literally wipes out anything electronic. And the reason it does that is it attacks and causes friction inside of electronic components, therefore wiping them out. Overheats, they short out, and the rest is history, and that unit no longer works. And most all electronic devices are attached to things that would be considered antennas, i.e. extension cords, things along those lines. Even items that aren't hooked to anything will still have adverse effect because this is not – we talked about this at lunch. While it emulates what happens in a lightning storm, it's way worse. A lightning, a bolt of lightning, you can typically – well, always, if you're watching closely enough, see and typically hear – the aftermath, and know what happened in a lightning strike. Even if you weren't present for it, you can typically see what happened. Well, keep in mind with an EMP, and we've not experienced this on Earth yet. We've had testing of these things, but we've not actually experienced one being lit off over a country of any size, any country at all for that matter, to know what the effects are. So there's a lot of speculation surrounding this. Now, my thought is, When something is detonated above the Earth's atmosphere, will we hear it? Um, Maybe. Very delayed. Because my, my thought process and common sense would say the speed of sound travels slower than what those electrons will pass to the ground and back up. So even if you do hear the boom, by then every the damage has been done. Not that you could do anything about it anyways, but I personally don't know that you'll hear the boom at all. You may. It's a pretty loud explosion, but keep in mind, it's 20-some miles above the Earth's surface. So it's, it's way up, 20-plus miles. Will you hear that? Um, most likely, but again, I think if, in fact, you do hear it, you're not doing anything else at the time. And, and I, I should keep this in mind. Whatever you would have been doing probably will end because your item that you're around working with, working on, the electricity, in other words, running it, will most likely go out prior to you hearing the boom. I I guess, and again, very few people talk about this. You're not going to find too many folks out there even mentioning what I'm, I've never heard anybody talk about this, by the way, what the sound and the, the aftermath would be like. We've talked about, will you feel it? I don't think so. It's not like lightning where you're going to feel the ground shake. I I don't think that's the case. Will you hear the boom? Uh, Yeah, I think potentially. Now, keep in mind that that explosion above the earth, unless it's directly above you, you, again, you may not hear it at all. So say, for example, you're you're in Colorado and they launch this and it hits the west coast and maybe they launch another one towards the middle of the country and another one on the east coast. Here in Colorado where we're halfway between two of them, will you hear a boom at all? I I don't know, folks. I really don't. We could be hundreds, thousands, by the way, of miles from where it actually is targeted over the U.S. and then it's above the atmosphere when it's actually detonated. Will we hear it at all? I I don't know. I kind of doubt it. Maybe those that are directly under it might actually hear it, but I'm guessing that if you're farther away from that explosion, you most likely won't hear it. We will know it happened, 
by the simple fact that anything electronic you've been using stops. So as I was talking to this good friend of mine at lunch, he's, again, he's going to come on and talk about some things lightning-wise and what really happens after that. And we have got to talking about, can you just imagine all of the electronic devices that we all have become so used to having, electricity, it is a staple, literally a staple of what we do. I won't go as far as to say that it helps with our existence, or it, you know, it is a part of our existence, like food and water and clothing. It's probably not that far, but close. There are, frankly, a lot of people, and I mean millions, billions of people on this planet that without electricity have no idea what to do next. So in that way, is it a must for our survival? Yeah, you could say that. Now, in this country, the, the rumor or the prediction is if an EMP strike happens and we lose the grid, all electricity is gone, and it will take years, probably five to bring things back up, you may see bits and pieces come on sooner uh, through various means, but you know a widespread grid reactivating minimum five years. Now, given that fact and the and the fact that so many people rely on electricity and other needs that have to be met on a daily basis, i.e. things like oxygen tanks, ventilators, uh, CPAP machines. I can go down the list of things people need to survive. You know, folks that are on dialysis and on and on we go. The rumor is, or the stats are, I should say, the guesstimate is, is probably the better way to say it, is a third of the population, this is the United States of America, we're not talking third world countries, a third of the U.S. population dies within 30 days. Now, I don't know that anybody's really even thought about the aftermath of that, and it's not something most people want to think about. And the reason is, just look around the area you live. You might live in an area where there's younger people, older people, a mixture of. Either way, look around. Now, imagine if all of a sudden 30% of them, a third of them, 33 and a third, so a third, and I think the number's higher, by the way, but let's just say a third aren't here in 30 days. And I think that number could be up to half in 90, and I'll explain why in a moment. But let's just say that a third are gone in 30 days. Where, where, Who's taking care of the bodies? Where are they going? How is that working? I mean, can you imagine the... Just immediately after several days, the stench that will start to happen coming from certain places where people have not been able to survive and, and, and. And this won't be in the first few days, but within the first 30, you'll start seeing some of these things happen. The chaos that will come out of that is enormous to the point where I'm not sure even some of the books, and I've talked to you know, William Forstchen, many, many times, we'll get him on here. I'm about halfway through his new book, Five Years After. Good book, by the way. I'll get him on most likely in a couple of weeks. I'm also working on, I had a, a gentleman reach out to me after we did our last live show talking about uh, cold weather gear and what to wear and so on. We actually have somebody that worked at the South Pole 
for a couple of years that would love to come on and talk about cold weather gear. So thank you, by the way, for reaching out. And we'll have that gentleman on here hopefully next Friday. So stay tuned. If I'm going to have him on, I'll promo that next week and let you know. So you all can tune in for that. That, to me, is fascinating. I, I can't imagine what working in Antarctica would be like. I'll also ask him if he's ever seen the ice shelf to keep all the flat earth things, you know, intact. No, I probably won't, but I'm, I know I'm making fun. I'm sorry. Sorry, flat earthers. I do believe we live on a round earth, by the way. I'm not a flat earther by any stretch of the imagination. Anyways, going, going back to, you know, some of these other, some of these other things, you know, interviewing uh, Bill Forstian. And I even told Bill straight up, Bill, I think you're way too kind in your book in how things will respond and how things will happen within that first 30 days. And by the way, he agreed, but he, you know, he wrote a book. He's not writing anything that is factual. It's a fiction book based upon his best guess as to what would happen. But he's very kind, by the way, to individuals in that first 30 days that, frankly, I don't think a lot will make it. And again, I'll get into a little bit today as to why I feel that way. But one of the things I was talking to my good friend about is just do all of you listening have an immediate plan for the first, let's say, three or four hours after one of these things happens? Let's say there's an EMP strike. Do you know what you're going to do in in what is my opinion, a short window of time to get yourself situated because it's going to be a long haul after that. Do you know within that first two to four hour window, which, by the way, I think is about all you're going to have, maybe the first night. But what are you going to do during those first, you know, two to four hours, six hours, maybe at best? I use Charlie and I as an example. Let's say that which I would predict, by the way, an EMP strike happens during rush hour traffic, which, by the way, if you're a foreign country trying to do the most damage to this country, you would launch that during rush hour traffic, most likely in the evening. Knowing you're heading into dark or it's already dark, depending upon what time of the year, you would make that happen. Let's say it's, you know, around here, Charlie and I know, we can let out the window at about 445 in the dead of winter, and it's dark. And there's rush hour traffic, and sometimes it's snowy and cold. What if at that exact same time an EMP gets launched and detonated? What are you going to do in that short window of time? And in Charlie and I's case, how do we get home? Because most likely the cars both him and I are driving will not operate. In my case, the kind of the, this is the downside, by the way, of driving new cars and press cars and then reviewing them and so on, is I could be in a different car every week. So for me to even harden a vehicle that I'm driving to and from the station on a daily basis is a little bit more difficult. So what do Charlie and I do? So Charlie, I had a thought. There's actually a bike store, two of them, near us. Now, I'm not advocating anybody stealing anything. Within the first few hours of an event like that, cash will still work. Credit cards will not, but I believe cash will. I happen to carry cash. So my thought for Charlie and I both is, we run down here to one of these bicycle shops. I've got enough cash. We'll uh, end up with a couple of bicycles because there's plenty of inventory just not far from us. And by the way, most people won't be thinking this way immediately. They'll be wandering around for the first hour or two wondering what to do. Charlie and I will be hightailing it down to the bicycle shop because that's probably our way home. 
And I, some of you are, Charlie's and you're laughing at me. Well, you know, I've thought through this a little bit. There's two bicycle shops literally within, you know, less than 100 yards of where we are here at the station. And right now there's a big, huge tent outside one of them, and they've probably got 150, 200 bicycles there. Now, they don't carry that inventory all year long, of course, but would they have a bicycle to buy and then hopefully help you get home faster than walking? I would hope so. So, Charlie, make sure you're all pedaled up and ready to go just in case. You just never know. You know, we laugh at some of those things, but my point is, have you thought through some of this? If something were to happen and you're not at home where all of your staples and the things that you've really worked hard at having are, how are you getting there? Because the chances of the car that you're driving, unless it's running off of an old points system, good luck. You're probably not going anywhere. On top of that, if this happens during rush hour traffic, just tell me how you're getting around all the cars that will be dotted on every single street from here to wherever you live. I'm not trying to be a naysayer here, but getting you all to just think outside the box in how will you make it home in that initial stage of what's happening. Remember, there's going to be a lot of bewilderment to begin with. A lot of folks just aren't going to know what happened. Some, I believe, will. I'm I'm being 100% honest here. I think some literally will sit in their car wondering what just happened, having no idea what to do next. Some will think, oh, government will come along and help me, just like Maui. Uh, No, they won't. So we got a call coming in. I'll take a break. We'll come right back. Don't forget, Stack Optical. Alan Stack, when it comes to your vision and having even extra eyewear for the situations we're talking about right now, it's extremely important. So make sure you get that done today. He can do the eye exam all the way down to whatever eyewear you need, including just general sunglasses, even if you don't wear a prescription. He has got some of the best glasses in the service to go with it anywhere there is. And I know that firsthand because he's who I use. 303-321-1578. That's Stack Optical. Are you looking for a healthcare provider who truly cares about you and your well-being? Look no further than Castle Rock Cryo, IV and Integrative Healthcare, where Dr. Scott Faulkner is ready to provide you with top-notch care. Colorado raised since 1968, Dr. Scott is a board-certified internal medicine specialist, bringing decades of experience and expertise to the table. At Castle Rock Cryo, IV, and Integrative Healthcare, you'll experience a competent, friendly, and efficient staff that puts your comfort and care first. Dr. Scott is a true advocate of the latest advancements in healthcare. That's why he only uses umbilical-derived stem cells, which have been clinically proven to be the most potent stem cells available. Tired of waiting weeks for an appointment? Unlike other practices, Dr. Scott has the remarkable ability to see you in a matter of days. Don't wait any longer. Call Castle Rock Cryo IV and Integrative Healthcare at 303-663-6990 to schedule your appointment with Dr. Scott Faulkner today. In such an uneasy and unpredictable time that we live in, growing your own food is becoming a necessity. Colorado Greenhouse Builders is a local family-owned and operated business that specializes in custom cedar greenhouses. 
Owners Jason and Annette have over 35 years of construction management experience and have built multi-million dollar greenhouse structures all over the country. Colorado Greenhouse Builders is one of the few companies that specializes in geothermal heating. Geothermal heating utilizes the sun's light and heat to create an amazing year-round growing opportunity. Their geothermal heating has proven to be a gardener's dream, even in our cold Colorado winters. They can provide a custom consultation that includes an evaluation of your site and then provide recommendations and a custom plan for all your growing needs. Call Colorado Greenhouse Builders at 720-539-9806 or find them at ready-radio.com. That's ready-radio.com. Summer hailstorms have returned with a bang, leaving roofs across the front range in need of repair or replacement. You need to know what options will be best for your home. Here at Roof Savers Colorado, we pride ourselves in helping homeowners maintain their roofs through hail or shine. We work with any insurance company to get your damaged roof the replacement it needs. However, if you are looking to get more life out of your current roof, we also offer a 100% plant-based rejuvenation treatment that gives new roof performance without all the new roof costs. With over 20 plus years of roofing experience, we believe in helping you determine the right solution for your situation and through every season. If you think your roof has been a victim of hail, contact us to set up your free inspection and receive an honest evaluation about the condition of your roof. Call today at 303-710-6916. That's 303-710-6916 or go to RoofSaversCO.com to keep a durable roof over your head. Do you know that your windshield is getting more expensive to replace? Most vehicles have options that help keep the vehicles from avoiding accidents or even keep it in the traffic lane. These windshields require more than just a replacement of the glass. They also require a calibration of the computer system to make sure everything is operational to the specifications the manufacturer set when the vehicle was built. You can't trust the traveling glass replacement shop to do these necessary calibrations as they require special equipment and in most cases an indoor shop to perform the calibration. We have two Novus locations that can replace your windshield and also do these calibrations. Novus Fort Collins and Novus Sterling. Both are fully equipped with the latest technology to service your vehicle properly. Find either location by going to any of our websites, ready-radio.com, drive-radio.com, or fixitradio.com. Just click on the Novus link. That's Novus Autoglass. All right, we are back. Ready Radio, KLZ 560. Don't forget, website, ready-radio.com. You can go there and listen to some of our past shows as well. John and Cheyenne, you're next. Go ahead, sir. John, you brought up a great idea of the bicycle. The only thing I would do is if it was you and Charlie, I would hunker down, go by the bicycle and go back and hunker down for the night because there's not going to be any real light out there. Probably, and you know, if, be- if my prediction is true, you're probably correct. Right. So I would, you know, I started when we were talking about this year and a half ago, I took an old day pack that I had and I keep it in the car with an old bladder just in case something happens because, and I'm at work. It's a, I, it, it'd be an all day walk, but if I left it dawn, I could make it by, you know, three, four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, right. Cause it's a 21 mile walk, which I know I can do. Yeah, you know, I've kind of thought the same thing, and, you know, in daylight it would be much easier. Um, The question is, do you just, 
you know, do you do your best? You know, of course, you know, I've always got a flashlight and things like that. Do you, you know, do you do oh, yeah. your very best to just go ahead and try to, you know, hike it on home and do it that first night, knowing that the next day is even going to be more chaotic? I, John, that one, I don't know, to be honest with you. You know, it's, is your flashlight going to work for the, I don't know how many miles it is from the station to your house, but let's say it's 20. Yeah, I'm doing is roughly that. If it, you, know, you know, line of sight, okay. you know, you could, you could you know, if you're doing it that way, you could, of course, not do the, you'd want to stay off of the highways, by the way. You'd want to try to get your way right. weaved around, you know, go a, go a straight road. shot as you can, side roads, backyards, whatever, you know, to try to get there that way. Right. But so say, do you think your flashlight would last the 20 miles in the dark? Um, Whereas. Probably not. I mean, you know, hard to say, you know, that, I mean, as you know, that 20 miles, I mean, that's going to take you a good, uh, it'll take you all night to do that. On a, on a bicycle, yeah. Either walking or on a bicycle would take you that long. Yeah, bicycle, you could do so, it well, depending upon your route and what you'd run into and so on. A bicycle in, you know, 20 miles, let's face it, you know, you could get a 20 miler in, in, I don't know, what, four hours max, four probably. Hours. Walking, well, it's a full, you know, walking's though. double that. You got to remember: Do you have the right equipment, and do you have something if it's fifteen degrees when they? Uh, and and you bring up some great points, and and again, those are things that everybody needs to be thinking about during that first few. Hours. And, and again, John, I, I'm speculating. I I have no insight. Although oh, we don't. Although yeah. I've got common sense, and so do most uh, adversaries to the United States of America. Believe me, they have thought through a lot of these things, and they will they will attack us at the most vulnerable time. And frankly, John, if I were a foreign country looking to do something along these lines, I would look at a Friday night, a week or two before Christmas, knowing as many people on the roads are out as possible and not at home because that's when you catch everybody off guard. That would be what I would do. Yeah, I was saying, I was going to say the Friday night before Thanksgiving when everybody's heading out of town too. What, you mean the Wednesday night? Uh, no, no. A lot the day of after Thanksgiving? No, a lot of people take that whole week before Thanksgiving off now. Oh, the week before. Oh, yeah, that Friday before. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah, that Friday. The, the problem is it's typically not quite as cold then, and your days are, again, I'm, I'm thinking as a foreign adversary, you're going to want as little oh. daylight as possible. Well, that's that December week, not November, because you're oh, a month more absolutely. into the equinox. Yeah, but, you know, you, you also want to create the most chaos. If you do it, how many people are at the airports that all of a sudden everything goes down at the airports and you got 10,000 people? Oh, you bring CIA up a great point there as well. And, and this is the other thing, which I hate to, again, not trying to be a naysayer, but those airplanes aren't flying when that happens either, unfortunately. Oh, and the ones that are up in the air aren't. They are not flying anymore either. Which, right. And so that's one of the things. Now, I don't know. It, you know, but the other things is more important, know your fitness level. Can yes. you walk 20 miles in a day if you have to? That's uh, some of us can, some of us can't. It's probably the best way to say that, John. Right, but what I'm saying is if your fitness level should be to where if you work in an office and you live in a certain spot, you should be able to walk that. Uh, I would venture to guess, goes back to my earlier comments, I would venture to guess, John, uh, 90% can't. Well, then that would be my first thing. I know I can because I just did a long backpack. And I, you know, I know sure. I can because of what I do. Even though I'm 
20 pounds heavier than I should be. But uh, you can still do it. I mean, that, that doesn't keep you or yeah. I from making, I mean, again, like you, I could do it as well. You know, we do enough activity right. and so on where, but, but again, very few, I think, could do that, John, for, for various reasons. I mean, whether it be a bad foot, a bad mm-hmm. ankle, a bad knee, right. hip, overweight, just don't have the stamina, they're, they're on some sort of other device to keep them alive. I mean, you name it. Most Again, yeah. I go back to even some of the young people that are more than able, how many of them will just hang out in the car for three or four hours hoping somebody's going to come help them? That's because we've raised, they've been raised to believe that the government's going to save them. I mean, I believe, honestly, if something like this were to happen, and you know, me especially, as yeah. I'm on my way home, I, I can already almost predict how many people you're going to pass hunker down in the car thinking someone's going to come save them. And nobody's coming because there's nothing running. So my, so my mean, point is, and this is where I kind of go back to, do I want to leave that night or the next morning, because if they're all hunkered down and nobody's moving, that's when I want to gain as much ground as I can. Makes sense. The Yeah, I, and I didn't think about it that way. The other, I mean, I, yeah, I, you, know, I want, you know, John, there, to me, there's a window of opportunity after this happens that you're going to have to get to wherever it is you need to be as quickly as you possibly can and then get hunkered down, because if you hunker down with where you're at, you're liable to not leave for a week or more. Right. But the other thing is, how are you, how is anybody going to know what's going on? Because we're going to lose all of our electronics. Only the smart people not, like you and I and people that have listened to this program will know. Yeah, but the other thing is, I've got an old uh, Radio Shack radio, a little uh, portable AM, FM. I don't know if that'll get fried. I'm hoping it won't. Because it's one of those little ones that's got AM, FM, and the weather uh, frequencies. If it's got transistors, it probably gets fried. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So I'm wondering if the, uh, if you know, how that's going to be the other thing is people are not going to have any communication with the outside world at all. Nope. They're going to go into panic mode. That's right. That is, you are, and that's where, you know, again, not not trying to scare everybody, because that's not the idea. The idea here is to get everybody as prepared as possible. I always talk about how this show is designed to prepare you for the what-ifs of life. In this case, we're talking about a large EMP strike that takes the grid down, or, or John, even a terrorist attack that would take even a big portion of the grid down. You're still back in the same situation that you just mentioned. You're not going to have things back up and running. Things will be on a, a minimal basis on a... On a strike like that, you may have a few generators here and there operating because you're, you know, because it's not an EMP strike, and some of those devices will still run. You still have, you know, transportation with your car, although it's still going to be absolute pandemonium, as you know. Oh, it's going to be chaos. That's why, like you were saying, get out early. The other thing I would tell everybody to add to their survival pack, and I know for some of us, carrying a pistol is not a big deal. But there are a lot of people who don't want to carry a gun. And right. If you don't want to carry a gun, go get a can of bear spray. I just got that a question. And, and by the way, thank you for this question. This is this is one I have not researched, and I probably need to, because I have several family members that are on these. Will pacemakers work after an EMP? I don't know. Oh, I, those got tr- I, I know my old neighbor, God rest his soul, he had one that had Wi-Fi and transistors and couple of times the hospital monitored it, and if he had an arrhythmia, they could zap him uh, remotely. Um, so, there's a lot of pacemakers where they can literally control them by just setting a device on top of your chest yeah. and changing the parameters of said 
pacemaker, John, without ever getting into it. So, or, you know, I guess the, the remote device is up on your shoulder, I should say. So right, right below your, you know, kind of inside your, your cusp there is where they typically put the one device, the wires run down to your heart, and that's where the pacemaker is at. But typically they can just take a device and set it on your skin to, to make whatever changes are necessary. Given that fact, I, I don't know if those last, John. Oh, I don't either. And then the other things I was talking to my wife about it, she takes a med or two. I said, talk to your doctor and ask her to write you a separate 30-day prescription. So you do your normal 90 refills. Correct. You have an extra 30 days just in case. And I don't know if she did or not yet, but I'm trying to convince her because she does, you know, the 90-day refills and they make you wait until you're down to a week's work. Yeah, and, and I think you bring up a great point there. For a lot of folks that require some sort of medication just to try to prolong things as much as possible, uh, yeah, I would try to stock up on as much of that type of medicine. You know, I, again, John, I'm, I, I cannot stress this enough how thankful I am that I don't have to take anything to stay alive daily. Oh, I don't either. I don't either, thank God. I am very, but, you know, you yeah. and I both are very, very fortunate because that's not a worry with me. Now, I will tell you this, I've already stockpiled other types of things when it comes to, you know, antibiotics and other things that you may need. Those are the kinds of things that I feel you also should be stockpiling because, again, you're not going to have access to those. And a lot of that stuff that is prescription here, you can buy over the counter in a lot of foreign countries. That is correct. You are right. Such as uh, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. That's right. They're both over the counter, everywhere else in the world. You're 100% and I believe correct. Some antibiotics like like um, penicillin. There's some places you can buy penicillin over the counter. Yeah, I mean, or, a lot of the foreign countries, know. you can literally get about any kind of antibiotic you want from even the heavy Z packs and so on. So the reality is, right. uh, there's not much you can't buy. It's a matter of whether you want to buy it and and uh, you know drag it back home. Right, and it, that that's a big thing, but. Um, John, always love the Friday show. Oh, thank you, sir. I appreciate it very much, John. Thanks for thinking along with me. And again, folks, I don't have all of the direct answers on this. I have no idea uh, how that would shake out. I can't even promise you that it ever will happen. All I'm saying is, I think as a country, this I do know. We are right now especially extremely vulnerable to anything along these lines. Anytime you're more vulnerable... Are we more apt to have something like this happen? Uh, I had, a, again, we had a good lunch today, and we were talking just about different things that would happen, even, you know, biblically speaking and things along those lines. And you, and you talk about some of the, you know, plagues that have happened in the past and so on. You know, how does this fit into all of that? Folks, I don't know. I, I don't have all of the answers. Uh, I wish I did. I wish I had a crystal ball where you could look to the future, but none of us do. And if somebody says they do, by the way, run— because they don't. Uh, I also just got a great tip, and I have one of these, so thank you, uh, Dennis, for recommending this. There is a great personal solar light that you could also carry around. It's expandable, so it's very easy to pack and have with you in your car or whatever, uh, personalsolarlight.net. Now, the other thing, I, you know, speaking of your car, something, something I don't think I've ever covered yet. A lot of you are driving cars that operate off of a fob even to unlock the car. I would familiarize yourself through your owner's manual as to how do you open said car if, in fact, your fob no longer works. 
where do you put the key? You'd be surprised at where some of these slots for the key are hidden. And remember, you're not going to be able to Google it when this happens. So the last thing you want to do is, you know, hey, I need to go to my car and get my bug out bag. But all of a sudden, oh, crap, this thing won't unlock. Now, you could always break a window and get in. I get it. But easier would be where is the key slot to unlock the door, which every vehicle has. But sometimes they're very hidden. Where is that? Some of you may not even know where that is on the existing car you're driving. Sometimes they're hidden behind the door handle. Sometimes they're back in the trunk area. I've seen them hidden in places where you would think, oh, my word, I never would have guessed that's where this is supposed to be. And I'm a car guy. Yes, there have been times in my own world where I'm like, okay, this thing's dead. Something didn't work with the battery tender. How do I get in? And you have to go to Google and find out where's the slot to put the key because there's no way you can find it. I'm not exaggerating when I said that. So for some of you driving cars with just a key fob that no longer uses a regular key, push button start is where I'm going with this. You, even though the car won't run, you may need things out of said car. If that's the case, how are you getting into it? And even if you have to break a window, keep in mind that you know, you, if you don't have a big rock or something around to break the window, you, you're not breaking it with your elbow. These things are really thick now. And you're not going to kick the window out either. It doesn't work that way. So you need something sharp, some ability to actually break it. I happen to carry a, my wife got me years ago for Christmas, a really cool pen that has a flashlight built in and a glass break in the pen itself. So if need be, and you had to break the glass, I get this pen out, I take the cap off, you smash the window and it breaks. It will not break laminated car glass. Thank you, Charlie, for saying that. No, so for some of you that may have laminated front windows, you'd have to go to a back window to break it. The side windows on a lot of cars will not break. They will not shatter. They are, think of, it's like a windshield. So the way a windshield is made is there's a piece of plastic that's laminated. That's why this is called laminated glass, laminated between two pieces of glass. That's why we call it safety glass. It will not come apart. You, You literally... And by the way, somebody's life was saved this week, several. There was a brake drum on I-70 that came off of a truck that bounced up and hit the windshield of an Audi. It did come through the windshield, bent the steering wheel, but because of the slowdown of all of that and that safety glass windshield, no one was hurt. That could have been a really bad situation, but because of safety glass and what I just explained it kept that brake drum from killing the driver some of you are driving vehicles that have side windows that way you may not even know it again you could look this up in your owner's manual and it would tell you now there are no rear windows that are laminated not to my knowledge at all if there is one out there somebody correct me but I don't know of any vehicles that have laminated back windows passenger driver or back passengers, the both, you know, driver side, passenger side, back windows, and or the back window itself. I don't know of any. Point being, a lot of you that have key fobbed vehicles, some of you, I know this because I've helped people with this, don't even know how to get the key out of the fob. And to your defense, in some cases, they don't make that super easy. It's not very apparent as to where the key slides out of the fob. I happen to be driving this week a 
Toyota Corolla GR, and I'm looking at the fob that I have in front of me. This one happens to have a little button on the back that I can slide over. I'm doing it right now, and I can actually pop the key out. So this one's fairly self-explanatory. Now, I will say this. I have no idea where this little key goes in this car. I have not looked that closely to determine where is the hole that you would, you know, where's the slot you put the key in. Uh, I will most likely do, do that later tonight and figure that out just for grins. Point being, some of you are driving vehicles where you don't even know how to unlock it if the key fob doesn't work. Learn that. Know where that is. Somebody asked, and I was going to get into this anyway, so Dennis also uh, said, so your car runs, which is unlikely, but let's say it does. What about fuel stations? Where are you going to get fuel once something happens? I was going to get into that because somebody asked me this during the last live show that we had a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to give you a little tip on that in a moment as well. So stay tuned. I'll be right back. Ready Radio, the website, ready-radio.com. This is KLZ 560. Summer hailstorms have returned with a bang, leaving roofs across the front range in need of repair or replacement. You need to know what options will be best for your home. Here at Roof Savers Colorado, we pride ourselves in helping homeowners maintain their roofs through hail or shine. We work with any insurance company to get your damaged roof the replacement it needs. However, if you are looking to get more life out of your current roof, we also offer a 100% plant-based rejuvenation treatment that gives new roof performance without all the new roof costs. With over 20-plus years of roofing experience, we believe in helping you determine the right solution for your situation and through every season. If you think your roof has been a victim of hail, contact us to set up your free inspection and receive an honest evaluation about the condition of your roof. Call today at 303-710-6916. That's 303-710-6916. Or go to RoofSaversCO.com to keep a durable roof over your head. Do you know that your windshield is getting more expensive to replace? Most vehicles have options that help keep the vehicles from avoiding accidents or even keep it in the traffic lane. These windshields require more than just a replacement of the glass. They also require a calibration of the computer system to make sure everything is operational to the specifications the manufacturer set when the vehicle was built. You can't trust the traveling glass replacement shop to do these necessary calibrations as they require special equipment and in most cases an indoor shop to perform the calibration. We have two Novus locations that can replace your windshield and also do these calibrations. Novus Fort Collins and Novus Sterling. Both are fully equipped with the latest technology to service your vehicle properly. Find either location by going to any of our websites, ready-radio.com, drive-radio.com, or fixitradio.com. Just click on the Novus link. That's Novus Autoglass. Have you been thinking about a new pair of glasses? Maybe some prescription sunglasses. Will look no further than Stack Optical. Since 1968, yes, you heard me right. Since 1968, Stack Optical has been providing the most comprehensive quality ocular care for their patients. This family-owned business is proud to be one of the few optical offices that has their own on-site eyeglass production and eyeglass repair studio. 
Stack Optical, located at 2233 South Monaco Parkway, features the most extensive lines of eyeglass frames, sunglasses, and contact lenses to ensure that you love your appearance and experience superior comfort. Our comprehensive eye exams proactively diagnose eye conditions and diseases while providing the most accurate vision care. We welcome you to experience a lifetime of superior ocular care from doctors that are devoted to your eye health. Call now for your $69 eye exam, 303-321-1578. At Stack Optical, you'll see the difference. In such an uneasy and unpredictable time that we live in, growing your own food is becoming a necessity. Colorado Greenhouse Builders is a local family-owned and operated business that specializes in custom cedar greenhouses. Owners Jason and Annette have over 35 years of construction management experience and have built multi-million dollar greenhouse structures all over the country. Colorado Greenhouse Builders is one of the few companies that specializes in geothermal heating. Geothermal heating utilizes the sun's light and heat to create an amazing year-round growing opportunity. Their geothermal heating has proven to be a gardener's dream, even in our cold Colorado winters. They can provide a custom consultation that includes an evaluation of your site and then provide recommendations and a custom plan for all your growing needs. Call Colorado Greenhouse Builders at 720-539-9806 or find them at ready-radio.com. That's ready-radio.com. Are you looking for a health care provider who truly cares about you and your well-being? Look no further than Castle Rock Cryo, IV and integrative health care, where Dr. Scott Faulkner is ready to provide you with top-notch care. Colorado raised since 1968, Dr. Scott is a board-certified internal medicine specialist, bringing decades of experience and expertise to the table. At Castle Rock Cryo, IV, and Integrative Healthcare, you'll experience a competent, friendly, and efficient staff that puts your comfort and care first. Dr. Scott is a true advocate of the latest advancements in healthcare. That's why he only uses umbilical-derived stem cells, which have been clinically proven to be the most potent stem cells available. Tired of waiting weeks for an appointment? Unlike other practices, Dr. Scott has the remarkable ability to see you in a matter of days. Don't wait any longer. Call Castle Rock Cryo IV and Integrative Healthcare at 303-663-6990 to schedule your appointment with Dr. Scott Faulkner today. All right, I will uh, get to how to help yourself out when it comes to the gasoline uh, end of things in a moment. Bill in Lakewood is next, so go ahead, Bill. Okay, you want the story or the question first? Either one, doesn't matter. Uh, I'll give you a quick story because it's a quickie. In 1978, me and my wife, we were back in Dinosaur National Park. You know what that is uh-huh, up in sure. the northwest yeah. corner? Yeah. Broke a drive shaft. Oh, boy. Yeah, there's there's no one back there. We went no. to the right where nobody goes. And we were, like I said, about 10 miles back. Well, just to let you know in case there's no car, it took us about 10 hours to walk out. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. We had nothing to drink. All we had in the truck was a cooler with melted ice and warm beer. Wow. Plus, we had a dog to boot. Wow. Then, then, well, then you know, and, and Bill, to, you know, kind of proving what John and I from Cheyenne were talking about earlier, it's not a cakewalk by any means. Well, okay. I'll, I'll tell you the whole story. So we get out, and and we used to go there all the time because I was living in Greeley. My wife was in Roosevelt, Utah. Okay. 
So I told, we knew the bus schedule. So I told my wife, stay here, because we're trying to hitchhike with a dog to boot. And you just don't hitchhike in Utah. So I go, stay here. I'll come back with the Volks, get her Volkswagen and come pick you up. So I get to her house, get the Volkswagen, come pick her up. On the way back to her house, the Volkswagen throws a rod. Oh, no, you're kidding me. Oh, this is all. That that just went from bad to worse. But anyway, so with the EMD or whatever the heck it's called. EMP. Is my 94 pickup truck going to start? No. All it is, it's got nothing. All it's got electronic condition. That's enough. Okay. It will now. If you had an extra module, well, that's still computer controlled. In that one, it installs a full ECM to control the fuel injection and so on. So, yeah, no, nothing's running on that, Bill. So, what do we do? Uh, if you don't have an old car with some kind of a you know points or electronic ignition that can easily be fixed, for example, the old GM HEIs where you could have an extra module in a Faraday box or something along those lines. Now, you can also do, and I'll put a plug in for EMP Shield. There's a link on my website, ready-radio.com. You can put an EMP Shield on your car and... It is, quote-unquote, hardened at that point. Now, again, they've done a lot of testing, and according to them, it's a hardened vehicle at that point in time. So that's that's probably your next best bet. Yeah, but, you know, what's the chance that it's happening? You know, you know I, I— Well, as I said a moment ago, I think, unfortunately, right now, higher than it probably ever has been. Especially, Bill, and you would know this as well as anybody because of your background, our grid is already in shambles. Oh, it's it. You could thank Obama for that. Yeah, our our grid is already in bad shape. So just add a, another, you know, small layer or two on top of it, Bill, and we're right there. So you know, it, would it be an EMP or a terrorist attack on certain portions of the grid or what have you, or just in some cases, Bill, the grid going down on its own? It could be any of the above. Hey, let me tell you, you know, uh, for Y two K, you know. At the end of my career, I, I worked at the Denver Steam Plant, still for Excel. Mm-hmm. And they decided they were going to cut corners, and one guy on a shift, which for the most part worked, unless you had a problem. Well, anyway, I worked um, Y2K that night. And, and it used to be when I first went down there, this is Excel Energy's plant, not a small Mickey Mouse company. Right. Lightning storms would trip the plant. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, that's such. So anyway, so Y2K, I was working that night, and I swear, I was sitting there in the control room by myself, watching the clock, mm. my breath, because it's a real pain in the mm-hmm. neck when the to trip. Right. When you were there by yourself, between valves and stuff that you got open, right. and it's just, just the whole thing. And thank God, nothing happened. Well, and again, you you know, you yourself and what you've done in the past are a reminder that, you know, this is not as far-fetched as we all think. Right. And then the the, the, the only positive thing I think I would have is I live, I live right down the block from Crown Hill, the lake. Right. I guess I could walk back and forth with water. You could. Keep in mind, everybody else is doing the same thing, so just make sure you're ready for that. I got lots of guns. So you're good then. So, all right. Okay. Bill, thanks. I appreciate that. Okay. So... Let's say you put an EMP shield on the vehicle, which, by the way, I would highly recommend. And I will do my best here. Potentially, I think I'm going to have, a, again, special guest next week talking about Antarctica on the South Pole. EMP shield, I will do my best to get them on here in the next couple of weeks, see if I can get them back on and talk about the vehicle side of this as well. Because, yes, in fact, they've got a brand new EMP shield micro for vehicles to where even the box itself is much smaller, easier to install. And most of these you could put on 
yourself very easily. So just, again, a side note, they've got a, a new EMP shield for your vehicle. It's 78% smaller than what it's been. And there's a, there's a link right on our website, ready-radio.com. Takes you there, gives you a nice little discount, and away you go. So if you do that, please do that. So let's say you got your vehicle all hardened, motorcycle, whatever it is, car, etc. And it works after this happens because of you having the shield on it. Now, as we all know, you're only going to have a certain amount of range on said vehicle until you need more fuel. So I had a question last week of, okay, let's say that there's all these abandoned cars all over the place because a lot of other people didn't prepare the way you did or you don't have an, they don't have older vehicles like some of you may have. You now still need fuel, and fuel will not last forever, but you've got probably a, uh, if it's stored in a lot of these vehicles that would be on the side of the road and it's air-free, probably have at least six to eight months, if not longer, of good fuel that you could scavenge and make work. Now, some said, okay, how, what kind of a pump system are you going to use to get that fuel out and so on and so forth? I would not do that. I wouldn't worry about having any kind of a pump, a siphon. A lot of these newer vehicles, it's so hard to even get down through the apparatus they have, the protective devices they have to keep things from being siphoned out of the fuel. Uh, what I would do, this is, again, something you're going to want to keep in your go bag or inside of your own vehicle. This is, again, if your vehicle runs. You want a hammer and a sharp half-inch punch. comes to a point, tapers back nicely, keep it nice and sharp. And some of you are thinking, what in the world are you doing here? This makes no sense. Um, you w- it will when I explain in just a second how to do this. You're also going to want to have some sort of a catch pan. Okay, They make a lot of catch pans. Napa sells them. Uh, they have a little funnel at the end. They're plastic. They're very easy to just throw in the back of your car. Now, if it were me and I needed fuel, the fastest way to get fuel out of a dead vehicle stuck on the road that you know is going to be stuck there is a hammer and a punch. Most gas tanks now are plastic. They're no longer metal. There will be a few metal ones still kicking around, but a lot of them now are made out of plastic. So, again, this really sharp punch and a hammer, most fuel tanks have access to them from underneath the vehicle. Yes, you'll have to slide underneath. You then would take the punch and the hammer. You find a nice, convenient place. You punch a hole in the gas tank. It will squirt out into your pan. You fill the pan up, put that into your vehicle. There's your fuel. Now, if you have more than what the you know two or three gallons your pan may hold— you're most likely not going to be alone. You could always carry a little cork or something that's the same size as your punch. Or, by the way, you can just leave the punch and stick it back in and seal the hole up temporarily. It's not going to seal it completely, but it would slow it down enough. Stick the punch back in. Stop the flow. Go fill up your vehicle. Put the pan back under. Repeat until you've got all the fuel out and into your vehicle. That's how I would do it. Some of you are thinking, well, that sounds pretty simplistic. Yeah, it is. We're not using any power tools to extract fuel from somebody else's car. Now, I said this to somebody a few weeks ago, and they're like, well, what if somebody's coming back for that vehicle? Well, I doubt if the vehicle is stuck and you find one that's between several other vehicles, and that's the one you're going to drain the fuel out of, I doubt if they're coming back, especially if this has been going on now for several days, if not weeks, and you're looking for fuel, this would be a way for you to scavenge fuel. 
Again, some vehicles will have a metal tank. Others will have a plastic tank. This punch method I just gave you, surprised at this, it'll be easier to punch a hole in a metal tank than it will be a plastic tank. I know some of you are saying, wait a minute, you mean the plastic's stronger? Yeah, actually, in some cases, yes. Yes. Now, they're not all plastic. You're going to find some metal ones still on the road. Now, this is where you'll have to look around and scavenge because some off-road type vehicles will have skid plates and things like that. You're just going to bypass those and go to the next one that you feel has good fuel. And you'll know by looking at the vehicle that what you won't know is how much fuel is in it. Is it near empty? Now, you could take your hammer and kind of tap on the side of the tank and kind of tell where the level's at, but you're just going to have to take your chance and poke a hole and get as much fuel out as you can, put that into your vehicle, and off you go. Siphoning, siphoning it is impossible. You, you're, it's not going to happen. Don't even try it. Even some of the apparatuses where you can stick a, a hose down the, the neck, usually there's enough baffles and things like that to where you're not going to get past that. They've done that on purpose. So, again, when's the last time you heard of anybody siphoning fuel out of your tank? It used to happen all the time. When Charlie and I were kids, you'd hear about somebody getting all of their fuel stolen at night because that's what we had locking gas caps back in the day. We had locking gas caps because people stole fuel by siphoning it. No one needs a locking gas cap anymore. Why? Because you can't get a hose down the neck far enough to get to the fuel level anyway, so it's irrelevant. In a way, they eliminated the need for locking gas cap because of what I just said. The manufacturers got smart, and they fixed that problem. So you're not going to siphon fuel. Unless it's a really old vehicle, and if that's the case, it's probably still running. So for most of you driving modern cars that do put an EMP shield on and you may be running after said EMP strike, this is how you would then gather fuel. And my advice would be have some sort of a 55-gallon drum or something at home that you could store some fuel in so that as you're scavenging, you get a little more fuel than needed so that you're not making multiple runs all the time. And we can talk more about that at a later date. Just think ahead. The point of today's program is that first two to six hours after some event like this would happen, that's your window to really get positioned to be hunkered down and make sure that you're going to be there for the long haul because there's a small, in my opinion, small window of opportunity to make that happen. Think through how all that's going to happen in your world. All right, we're about done with the day. Again, this has been a live show on September the 8th. If you're hearing a replay of this, you'll know why. But we appreciate you listening very much. You can always go to the website, ready-radio.com. We appreciate you listening very much. This is KLZ 560. and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker, commentators, hosts, their guests, and callers. They are not necessarily the views and opinions of Crawford Broadcasting or KLZ Management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.